Welcome to Movie Reviews from an Alternate Earth with your hosts, Greg Dyro and Tom Burka. Well, Tom, we, we actually made a, a recording of our intro. That's amazing. That is incredible. Uh, this is the first time we've successfully done it. I, I mispronounced my name often. Yes, multiple times I've had to correct Tim it. Tim Broker. Mm-hmm. The auto repair feature in Adobe Audition is amazing. It fixes your name every single time. You know, I've been asking for that feature for years, and finally they did that. Audio, audio AI. Well, AI is creeping into everything these days. Uh, I, I, I noticed that, well, it's especially pernicious in the auto spelling arena where <laughs> somehow uh, it somehow corrects normal words to fantasy. Uh, nonsense. It's syllables. the nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand it. What, what would I want to remake? Um, yeah, let's get movie, to it. A movie, just, an absolutely fabulous movie that I like, that I think could be ripe for a remake. And, and I technically it was remade, but um, but I don't think it had the same kind of tone is, to, for me, it would be Kelly's Heroes. Um, oh, you know what? I'm totally with you on that. Totally but, but, with you. But, but, but kind of like well, Ocean's Eleven. You know? Yeah, but, but, but. George Clooney actually already did Three Kings, which is kind of a, a, a Kelly's Heroes. Uh, well, uh, Kelly's Heroes had kind of a more, I mean, it had this lovely, gigantic cast. Yeah. Had Don Rickles in it. So, you know, but but uh, the, all, Three Kings was kind of a, a bitter, dark yes, yeah, movie. Yes, yeah, yeah. It was, but but it was essentially the same the same plot where you know there's this gold or this behind enemy enemy lines and da 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 and you know we're gonna and even even did you see the the five bloods the uh, uh, the Spike Lee I, movie? Oh no, I didn't see that yet. I really like it's on Netflix, Defi- right? I yeah. really like it. It's a lot, and so I don't know. It could reach out to Spike. Maybe Spike would talk to us. Um, I, I I would talk to Spike. I'd even you know I promise to give him a basketball or something. We could we could maybe I know I mean, and I, I, know I say that just because I know that more than a, he more than being a film director, he's actually the number one Knicks fan and critic. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's his other persona, uh, uh, you know, on the side. Actually, the rather Knicks. yes, rather than giving him a basketball, I would give him a winning season for the Knicks, which. <laughs> Which would be, would be uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be an accomplishment, but it would be a miracle. Okay, well, I, so I I do then, I do know his brother David Lee. Um, oh yes, is a photographer. Um, so I don't know. Maybe well, we could get maybe we could get David Lee online and and talk, and we can talk about you know his work getting Spike to Spike remake Kelly's Heroes. Well, no. If you if you watch the Five Bloods, it's 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 kind of it is a yeah. It isn't a remake. It's, I don't know. I don't know what the plot is. It, it, it's oh similar well, you have to see it. Saying. And but well, there's 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 money involved. There's you know stuff like that involved, and it's Vietnam. But anyway, what I love about oh, Kelly so, Sheros, okay, I I do have to watch this. This yeah, you have to watch better. it because yeah. they're going they're going back to Vietnam to recover. The premise of the story is they're going back to Vietnam to recover the body of their lost comrade, which is uh, 
Chadwick Boseman. Insert <laughs> name after the fact, Greg. <laughs> okay, he oh, he's in yes, he's in Defy yes. Bloods, and he's the he's the fellow Bozeman. that Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick yep. Boseman. Chadwick Boseman. He's the fellow that they're going back to Vietnam to find you know his body and bring his body back to the United States because he was he was buried in the jungle you know in in a big gunfight type thing is what you know at the this beginning is one of, of his last big roles he yes was yeah dead yeah and so so everybody in the film plays themselves now spike does a great great job of this um they're you know our age you know and maybe a bit ancient. older actually ancient there are just there would you say yeah. unable to remember names, places, yes. movies, yeah. etc. Yeah. Yes, go on. And so they they they're back in Vietnam, and so they're there in in you know Saigon, you know, right now in Saigon, and it's like tourist type of stuff, and it's like so anyway, and they go back into the jungle, but but what Spike does, which is really interesting, there are flashbacks to you know 1967 in in, in the war, and all of the current mm-hmm. actors play their part as the age they are right now, you know, 70. Oh, I, I but love that. But in 1967, but the person that's died, Chadwick, he is young because that's how they remember him. And they remember themselves as they are now, you know, do, you know, that's with the a, guns and flying a, in the helicopters. That's a really, really, that's a great, great, smart idea it's an awesome it's an awesome thing when you see it and you're like you're looking at it and going oh yeah they're they're remembering and 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 they're you know they're in their body now but they're remembering shooting the guns and but it's really them now anyway it's it's um so well now i i I, you know as soon as we're done (laughs) i'm watching you'll watch it and then we'll uh Send a note to but, Spike. But I, what I wanted to say about Kelly's Heroes, Kelly's Heroes has a kind of a playful sense to it because, you know, Kelly and his heroes are mm-hmm. going behind enemy lines. And meanwhile, Carol O'Connor plays a general who's like, who are these bastards who are, these are the kind of guys that I'm talking about. They just <laughs> punch through enemy lines and they're they're making a name for themselves and they're they're you know, winning this war for us. And, you know, that's not, it's it's supposed to be the ironic counterpoint to their action because there's nothing altruistic about what they're doing. No. Um, And I might add, you know, of course, Kelly's Heroes has uh, has a scene where the two most comical members of their troupe, Trini Lopez and somebody else whose name I can't remember, um, they are in a tower and which gets uh you know a tank shell dropped on it and so the tower the tower kind of explodes and they fall into uh basically a, a sewage dump and so they smell like shit for the rest of the movie <laughs> and every scene that they appear in somebody turns around and goes what happened to you oh my god uh, uh-huh. That's the comic relief of the entire movie. Well, Love yeah, and, yeah. Uh, well, well, Don Rickles as as crap game, you know, Telly Savalas, Donald uh, Sutherland, Donald, Donald Sutherland. Sutherland. Oh no, 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 no! It's even better with with uh, Gavin McLeod as Moriarty. 
And, and, and Donald Sutherland's like, Moriarty, what is with all those negative waves? What's with all those negative waves, Moriarty? Yeah, yeah. But let's face it. The best scene is they, they finally, it's the it's the final part of the movie. And, and this movie is so long, by the way, that normally when it was shown on television, um, there there's an intermission. And it's usually shown in two, it used to be shown in two parts on TV. Yeah. Um, you know, one night they'd show the first half of it and the next night they'd show the second half of it. But in, in the very last 20 minutes of the movie, when they're finally in this town where there's a bank with all of these gold bars in it, right. and they're playing hide and seek with these Panzer tanks, um, you know, uh, Clint Eastwood turns the corner and there is Donald Sutherland sitting in a chair with a glass in his hand. And uh, he's like, what, what are you doing? And uh, Donald Sutherland says, he's catching some rays, drinking some wine, eating some cheese, you know. <laughs> and he's, he's, uh, he's, he's a classic 60s yeah. kind of hippie-esque hippie. kind of guy. Right? They've, they've decorated their, uh, their tanks. Uh-huh. With with uh, all kinds of flowers and peace symbols and crap like that, and and they and they put giant speakers on the tanks so they can play music that they like to hear when they're going into battle, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, so you know some tunes, man, some tunes. Oh man, I gotta. Anyway, I so I there is a there is a playful sense to that movie that is not evident in Three Kings at all. And no, no, no. And that's what well, I love about that's what I love about Kelly Saros is that play. There, there's a serious side of the movie, but there's this whole playfulness side of the of of, of the film. I don't know if you can remember this, but where is the place that they always break? In the movie, what is the section of the movie where they end the first half and then the next night they start with that same scene? I don't know. Going through the tunnel, the, the train tunnel? No. I don't know. No. You're, it's it's the minefield. Oh. Hmm. They they get to this minefield. Right. And, I remember. Well, they discover the minefield. Don't they discover the minefield when somebody walks into it and explodes? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Then, so, I mean, the serious side of it, they lose one of their guys. Yeah, and what's his name? Uh, 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 crap game, uh, which is uh, Don Rickles, is like freaking out. And Telly Savalas has to kind of, you know, calm them all down and, and get them through the minefield. Because he's the, he's the serious, you know, And let, let me point out sergeant. for those who... Who haven't seen this movie? When the guy blows up, they're all already in the minefield. They realize, oh crap, we're all yes. scattered in this minefield. How the hell are we going to walk out of it? Yeah, yep. So, yeah, it's not a good situation to be in. No, and it's a, it's just. It, I would avoid that myself. So I don't know how to remake Kelly's Hero be, because it's such a, you know, classic, and maybe it's you know. It's best remade um, in our heads, but um, no, I would love to. I would love to see it. Was there a remake of the Dirty Dozen? Another um, World War II movie, which was kind of designed with having a very a cast of thousands. You know, a cast of great. I, I know one of those also. Uh, Clint Walker was in the Dirty Dozen. Um, yes, he was, and he's a friend of mine. Although he passed away a few years ago, so. Uh. Well, yeah, no, and Clint Walker was very good in that movie. 
So, um, so interesting. But I think there have been kind of variations on the Dirty Dozen that have been made over the years. I don't. I wouldn't say a remake of the Dirty I, Dozen. I couldn't. But, I couldn't off the top of my head think of any movies that I wanted to see remade. So I, you know, Googled to see some lists and right. um, what I primarily came up with were lists of movies that were adaptations of a book or prequels or whatever that just sucked. Ah. That just sucked. And one of the things that was on the list was the first three Star Wars movies, the three prequel movies, which were all, I'm sorry for anybody who likes those movies, they all sucked. They were just (laughs) horrifically bad. They didn't hold a candle to the original three movies. And in fact, yesterday I was flipping around and Revenge of the Sith was on. Right. And so, and I watched like 10 or, 10 or 15 minutes of it. And it was one of the penultimate, most important moments in the entire movie sequence, three movie sequence. It was the moment when uh, Anakin Skywalker decides to become Darth Vader. He decides to throw right. in his, you know, you know, to, to support and become a disciple side. of the emperor, right, and go to the dark side. And it was so badly done. First of all, Hayden Christensen, and I'm sure that, you know, this, this is nothing against him. I think that he could probably and has probably given great performances and other things, but he's mm-hmm. dreadful in this movie. It's completely unbelievable what's happening in in him internally is first he tries to it's first he tries to arrest the emperor and then he you know who's the head of the senate really right uh palpatine and then he says no i'm going to turn you over to the jedi council and he goes to the jedis and uh samuel jackson who also i might add gives a terrible performance um, amazingly um, almost everybody in the movie gives dreadful performances, and I have to credit. Is it the writing? I think it's the directing. I think the that directing. George George Lucas famously hated working with actors, and actually said that he would have preferred if he could have, you know, a computer create mm-hmm. uh, an actor doing the performance, and hence, and and there you get Jar Jar Binks, by the way, right? Uh, but. Um, no, even Natalie Portman, who is capable of incredible performances, gives the most wooden kind of performance. Uh, but so he goes back to Samuel Jackson and Samuel Jackson goes and Samuel Jackson is like, you know, I'm going to turn you over to the council. And uh, realizing that Palpatine controls the, the council and the Senate and nothing will happen to him. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly decides that he's going to kill him, which is, and, and Hayden Christensen shows up and he's like, that's not the Jedi way for Christ's sake, don't kill him. And uh, well, then bit by bit, of course, in that moment, trying to protect Palpatine, uh, he, he cuts off his, uh, Samuel Jackson's hand, and then Palpatine takes this moment to uh, use his magical electrical powers to throw uh, Mace Windu. I think that's the name of the character. Yes, yes, it is. Out the window. And at that moment, Hayden Christian says, what have I done? And Palpatine says, you know, 
you know, uh, come to the dark side. And Hayden Christian says, I'll do whatever you want. Tom's pick is he's going to remake the, the, the prequels, the three films, with a competent director and rewrite them. Yeah, and, and an actual gonna, good story. And I'm going to I'm gonna remake Kelly's Heroes. So, uh, All right, there you go. So we'll Let's just go that. with that. Yeah, so moving on, next question. Next question. All right. Well, I like this question. Um, Tammy Padunka from Oklahoma yes. writes, Greg... You know, I know that you uh, were the head of the photo department at, uh, you know, at Warner Brothers. And, you know, you're you're uh, a photographer who's, you know, been an expert in this for God knows how many years. Who's your favorite cinematographer? And who do you think is the best? And are they the same person? Hmm. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you, Tammy. That's a good question. Well, you know, there's Roger Deakins. Um, who some might say is the you know one of the best cinematographers. What what um, has he done? He did Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Okay, well there you go. That was that was beautiful. I will say. Well, let's get an explanation of what the cinematographer is. Uh, the cinematographer is the also called the DP or the director of photography, and. In the world of motion picture, photography means filming the movie. It doesn't mean photography like you or I might think of as still pictures and I'm the photographer at, you know, Joe Blow's wedding. Uh, Photography is the filming of the movie itself, um, the motion picture. And the DP is in charge of the lights and the look of the, the filming. So the lens choices, um, the light, the, the way the light is and the color. And then the director, like Steven Spielberg, his role is directing the actors, directing the scene and a lot of times camera placement, although the DP will, will do camera placement a lot of times also. Um, but so there's, they both have director in their name. Um, so the cinematographer is generally what a reference for a, it's kind of like a, a silkscreen. If you know what a silkscreen is, it's a, in the world of art, it's called a serograph. So in the world really? of film, yeah, it, it's the fancy term. Oh, it's a serograph. It's a limited edition serograph. It makes it sound fancier. Sometimes I think that's what cinematographer is. It's the fancier name for the DP, the director of photography. Um, well, and I, and I see that Deacon has done some movies with some very interesting looks. I mean, he did 1984, which I'm not sure anybody can really remember, but uh, Fargo. He did a lot of Coen Brothers movies. He did A Brother, Where, Out, Where Art Thou? Um, All of which have a distinctive kind of style and, and look and light. So... Um, right, and I would imagine that the director of photography, in the same way that the other director does, is, you know, what they're trying to do is to create a look that best matches the vision of the director and the tone of the script. I, I saw Gordon Willis talking about all the president's men, mm-hmm. and... uh you know, he he really wanted for the newsroom. He wanted that kind of fluorescent look. 
uh, he he wanted it to look like we were sitting in an actual kind of uh, boring newsroom in a way, mm-hmm. you know, just the glare. But he also wanted to co- constantly depict these guys, um, the two reporters, all the president's men being the story of uh, Woodward and Bernstein, um, uncovering the Watergate conspiracy, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, you know, it was pretty... Uh, a pretty hard journalistic push uh, for them to find out all the details of this. Um, But he constantly had the camera pulling away from these two guys so that they would start off, you'd be close up, but eventually you'd pull away to show how small they were in, Mm -hmm. in the city, in the hierarchy, in the, you know, that they were just these two little guys toiling away in the nation. So you'd, you'd have them in the library Congress and you'd, he chose to have an overhead shot right. of the two of them sorting through these papers. And then he'd pull back and pull back until he actually was above the library of Congress and then above the entire city of Washington, DC. And you got just, it, it was a great decision on his part. Yeah. That's, and that's a famous shot within that film that the shot within the library of Congress for sure. Right, so, right. So, and then my 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 second pick, uh, and then I'll let you kind of say is would be I'd say Janice Kaminsky, who has done a lot of stuff with uh, Steven Spielberg. Um, oh, by, of, oh, Deacons did Skyfall. I didn't know that. Uh, okay, yes, De- Deacons has yeah. done a lot of a lot of a, a lot of a lot of things that are current, you know. And but Janice Kaminsky is Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan. Minority Report, War Horse, if you ever saw War Horse, and all the way back to Jerry Maguire. Um, so Janice has a certain style that's um, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, it's been described as uh, he likes to backlight things against the sun, a lot of diffusion, diffusion filters, um, it's kind of like J.J. Abrams being accused of having reflections in the lens, the, the, um, the constant, you know, glare of a halo of that light, you know, shining and, you know, speckling in the glass. But, um, but anyway, um, these are people that, um, you know, my two picks, so we can, uh, move on if you'd like. No, let's let's do that because you know for me when we talk about cinematographers, you know there's so many there's so many greats, and I mentioned Gordon Willis because uh, what was mm-hmm. he? He was called the Prince of Darkness uh, because he, I think it, I'm not sure where he started pioneering this particular look, but he uh-huh. he would not fully light the faces of the actors in a scene. He would allow. Uh, their faces to be uh, sometimes completely in darkness, sometimes, you know, half Mm -hmm. in darkness. And and The Godfather was probably Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things where the lighting was often from above. And so there would be these dark shadows uh, Mm -hmm. underneath the brow and uh, uh, the first half of somebody's face would be in shadow um, or you know, anyway, uh, but I, I, you know, I only know what looks beautiful 
and uh, or or interesting. Blade Runner itself is uh, an interesting. It's just such a, a stark look, very distinctive. Mm-hmm. But you know, what do I know? I mean, I, I think that uh, Tammy probably asked you because of your expertise uh, mm-hmm. in in the industry, and uh, well, and I'm sure you know lots of cinematographers who you offended with your answers. Yes, I'm. I'm sure. I'm yeah, sure. one one of which uh, Stephen Poster we interviewed. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and actually that was fascinating. Go back to our uh, episodes list and listen to uh, our interview with Stephen Poster, a cinematographer, and uh, we'll actually see if we can get uh, some other people, other cinematographers, to actually talk to us. Yeah, so we'll, and one we'll of the on that. fascinating things about Poster was asking him what kind of choices he made for Donnie Darko that served the story uh, and served the vision of the director. And, uh, um, well, go and listen to it. He's really good. Yes. He was great. Laszlo is asking, what movie have you seen the most times? In other words, what movie have you watched repeatedly, which you continue to watch repeatedly without, just because you'll watch the movie again? And what movies would Tom would you say that you know, you've watched multiple times? The Shining. I've seen The Shining. I, I don't know how many times I've seen The Shining uh, at this point, but you know, I'm never never bored by it. Uh, you know, I'm I'm always always completely drawn in. Mm-hmm. Um, but another one that you know, I have to admit that I've seen quite a number of times uh, is Guardians of the Galaxy. Believe it or not. Uh, wow. Well, when Guardians came out, I you know first of all I, I'm I've always been very interested in seeing good adaptations of the comic books mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you know and the other day I caught a little bit of the beginning of Spider Man Two uh, the original Spider Man Two and was a little surprised to see how kind of there was something a little ham handed about it. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and the CGI Spider-Man swinging uh, looked notably fake now. I don't, I don't remember feeling that way when I first saw it, but uh, uh, Guardians was released at the beginning of August, uh, at which traditionally August was a time that studios would dump movies that they had intended to be big summer movies and they just flopped and they right. knew that they were not great movies because, you know, in their, uh, in, in their previews to, you know, they, they always get these cards from all Fantastic. the audience members. Yeah. Scoring. Right. And, and the movie scored very low. And the first movie that I can recall, which came out in the first two weeks of August, which was a big success was the sixth sense. And mm. it, and people were like, well, all of a sudden studios begin to began to think, you know, maybe August is a place where we can drop better movies. Uh, but Guardians, I, I'm I'm not sure that the studio thought Guardians was going to do well at all. I mean, I have to say that when I saw the trailer for Guardians before it came out, it looked terrible to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I went to see it. I was I was just I was bowled over. I thought it was a terrific movie, you know, full of humor and uh, 
you know, wonderful performances and, you know, I'm a sci-fi buff, so it satisfied that, et cetera. Um, uh, I I will also sometimes just watch the opening credit sequence of Guardians 2 because I think it's so much fun. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, and, and just uh, whether you've seen it or not, I can't remember, but it shows we, we've only seen Groot before as, you know, an adult, essentially right. a big tree. And in this Groot is, you know, a tiny uh, child Groot, essentially, who decides to start playing music while the rest of them are fighting this giant horrific monster in the background. You can see Groot dancing around mm-hmm. to his music. And, and of course, typically it's uh, Mr. Blue Sky. It's a, it's a song which really kind of grabs you like much of the guardians of the galaxy soundtrack. Uh, anyway. Um, but there are other movies that I've seen a million times. I mean, you know, the first one which came to mind was uh, the wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. The Godfather, all the President's Men. Um, I, I've watched Skyfall a bunch of times. Uh, I always enjoy that movie. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a Bond fan from many years ago. I think Daniel Craig is, in his way, the very best James Bond we've ever had because he brings such dimensionality and emotional right. reality to the character. Um, but of course, I love Sean Connery, and and Goldfinger is probably up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, you know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The Lion King, because I have children, and also you know, I mean, I enjoyed the movie um, apart from the fact that uh, we were using it to try and entertain our children. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, unintentionally. Uh, I've seen the Harry Potter movies many too many times because mm-hmm. it seems like they're always on now. All all seven of them running at exactly the same time. Uh, and, and I might add, the best Harry Potter movie is clearly the third one, um, Azkaban. Uh, and yeah, that's uh, Alphonse Cuaron, I think, who directed that one, isn't it? Yes. It was the first time they had a director who kind of had – the right sensibility when Christopher Columbus was a kid's uh, did movie. The, yeah. He, he directed it as a kid's movie and the sets looked like they were part of the Disney theme park. Right. And, you know, and the whole films had that kind of sensibility. And then, uh, Alphonse Cuaron comes on. How do you pronounce his last name? Cuaron? Cuaron, Cuaron. I think. Cuaron. 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 Uh, and, well, he's Spanish, not French. Right. So uh, anyway, um, he comes in and he brings this reality to it. I mean, there's a real mm-hmm. sense of danger in that oh, yeah, world. Yeah. And uh, I don't know who his DP was, but there's a gray cast to everything. It's kind of a foreshadowing of the fact that the story is going to get darker and darker. And the, the actual story um, has some wonderful, interesting twists and turns, and there's nothing... Nothing better than when uh, you have a time travel element to a story and a character has to do something while they're watching themselves do something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which I think is the exciting denouement of the mm-hmm. entire movie. It, it's really very clever, cleverly done because we see little hints of things 
leading up to the time that they actually travel back in time and start reliving events right. that they've just lived through. And uh, when they're first going through them, you see things that are, you don't, that they themselves notice and they don't ex understand what why yeah. they are. And then <clears throat> we see exactly what they've done that has caused these things, such as uh, um, Harry doesn't know. He thinks it's his father who's come and used the Patronus spell to save him from the Dementors at this lake. But it turns out that it's Harry himself. Right. Right. Uh, well, I like, well, I think, I like, I think a lot of that is due to JK Rowling's, you know, writing and yes, her absolutely. and her, her, her crafting those plotter. scenes, yes. her crafting those scenes. Um, but they, to go back to one of our earlier comments I'm like, well, I, I think the Harry Potter universe is ripe for a, for a, a remake. Uh, Certainly. A, I'd like a, to see the first two movies remade as a stream. I'm, I'm like, as a streaming a streaming project where, you know, it's, it's over, you know, multiple seasons, you know, 20, 20 or more episodes. And, you know, so you oh, I would, I would, I would love to see that. Frankly, that would so be you give cool. Each book it's due, you know, five episodes or more one hour, a five hour version of, you know, uh, uh, chamber of secrets or whatever and so on. But, uh, but anyway, I, I, just to finish, the movie that I've seen the most probably is Apocalypse Now. Uh, I, I, I was fascinated with it when it came out uh, before <laughs> going to see it. Uh, you know, I, I read the, would you call it novella? The James Conrad. Uh, uh, right. Well, uh, yeah. The yeah, uh, Heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness. Yeah. That it was based I on. read that be yeah, before I went to see it. Um, I've seen the marvelous documentary about the making of the mm -hmm. movie, which is crazy. I mean, for instance, Dennis Hopper was actually tripping on LSD when he did his scenes, <laughs> uh, you know, and I don't know whether you call that great acting or great tripping, uh, but it, it was a choice that served the movie. It really did. So, you know, one way or another, um, uh, no, I'm just fascinated with the movie. I mean, after all, uh, Martin Sheen had a heart attack in the middle of shooting. Yes. And, and, and Coppola, Coppola was like, get the hell, get over it. Come on, we got to keep shooting. And basically, <laughs> basically they did. I'm not quite sure what medically was done for him, or I, I imagine it wasn't the most serious heart attack in the world, but, uh, Yep, still probably. He was bullied into continuing <laughs> with the shoot, uh, and they finished filming the movie. And was it the the, the fourteen year old uh, Lawrence Fishburne or something like that? Fourteen or fifteen, I think. Yeah, it was it was it was amazing. He was amazing in that movie, and uh, well, I've always had a special place in my heart for him because of that. Um, uh, um, who plays Who plays Chef Forrest? Uh, Frederick Forrest. Uh huh. Uh, I thought that was a marvelous performance. Uh, never get out of the boat. Never get out of the boat. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, tiger. He's, he's, yeah, he says after he, you know, he goes into the jungle to pick some berries or something for cooking and uh, runs into a tiger and he's just completely, completely fucked up by it, as you might imagine. And, uh, but even the guy, and I don't know the name of the actor the, the, who plays the captain of the little patrol boat is fantastic. Uh, 
You know, I'd like to know the story, though, of why they fired Harvey Keitel after a couple of weeks of shooting. He was originally supposed to be playing the Martin Sheen role. Was he? I don't remember. I, I, I saw the documentary, but now I've forgotten about that stuff. Uh, I don't recall them saying that much about it in the documentary, honestly. It's still a mystery to me. But And Harrison Ford is in that Yeah, Harrison movie. Ford, is, he's the CIA guy in the very small... Colonel Lucas. That's pretty funny. Um, I thought he was the attache, the uh, the aide to the general uh, in that scene. And the CIA guy is this. Um, oh, the swarmy guy. Yeah, I guess you're yeah. right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I love that movie. I think it's a, it's an absolute work of genius. It's, you know, one of the great films of the past hundred years easily. Um. And I'll stop there because what about you? Well, we're gonna we're gonna. There's two things here. There's the the movie I've probably seen the most. Um, I don't know. I we'll, we'll go back to I saw Star Wars in whatever 1977. Oh, I saw geez. it. Ele- I saw it eleven times in the theater um, <laughs> because I kept uh, I kept bringing people. I kept bringing people to the movie to see the movie. So I right. kept watching the movie again, and right. but but my all time kind of I'll watch this movie from beginning to end and love it, love it, love it all the time is uh, the movie Rudy. If you know the movie Rudy, you know what? It's funny. I've never seen the movie Rudy. I know uh, a lot about it because it's referenced uh, in many other movies and TV shows. I, I love Rudy. Rudy is like make. It makes me cry every time. It's like, you know, oh, Rudy is like, you know, John Favreau is in Rudy. Um, it's like Sean Astin is great. It's just this, this, this triumphing, triumphant kind of, st- I don't know. I, I just love Rudy and it'll make you cry every time watching Rudy. Well, and the, the pivotal scene towards the end. And I mean, I, I don't know. Listening to our podcast is like giant spoiler alert, but uh, these right. are. We we are generally talking about movies that are well worn. so old that you you should have seen them. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, you know, um, but uh, the scene at the end where uh, all of the all of the players are Rudy, so to speak, one well, by the, one. They, yeah, what happens in this scene? I, I well, you know, no, they, he he's he's. On the football team, but but he's so he's so little and he's so bad not bad he's so small that he's never played he's on the bench and and so at the end of the film um, they're at one of their final games and and there's a new coach because the previous coach got promoted and picked up by an NFL team or something and there's mm-hmm. a new coach and he doesn't understand Rudy and the whole team wants Rudy to be put into the game and they're like are you crazy it's like he can't and then all of a sudden the entire the entire crowd in the stadium is is chanting Rudy 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 and and then the 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 team starts chanting Rudy it's cuz they want him to put him in to game to play so because in the film in order for him to be considered on the team and in the roster for history he has to have played a game. Oh. He can't just be suited up and, and dressed and sitting on the bench. He has to have played a game. And so this is his one chance to actually play the game. 
and that's right, what, and it's towards that's, the end of the game too, right? Yeah, and, it's towards the yeah. end of the game, and that's that's the the culmination of it all is that he actually they put him in, and he gets to play, and he and, and he you know and he, he scores twelve to, touchdowns, yeah, and and gets to run, and so run run forest run, and it it's anyway it's if you've never seen it, it it's great. John Favreau plays his his buddy, his friend in this, and it's a very you know much younger John Favreau. Before he became the big director, um, it's an excellent movie, and I recommend watching Rudy. And get your tissue out; you'll cry at the end, and you'll be, uh, you know. So it does sound fantastic. It really does. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's and it's I don't think, and I, I, honestly, I don't think knowing what happens at the end will in any way diminish my appreciation of the movie when I see huh. it, nor will it stop me from from crying like a little baby. No, and it, it's also it's also based on a true story. They're they're really it is a really true story about Notre Dame and and this um, fellow by the name of Daniel Rudiger, who they call Rudy, and it's a true story. And I think at the very back, at the very end, at the credits, they actually show pictures of the real Rudy at the game and stuff like that. So, um, but anyway, so no, that's go, very go, go that's always that. very cool. Uh, a true story. Um, well told uh, is always very cool, especially when they show the actual people in the credits or whatever at the very end of the movie. I always like that. Um, we have an interesting, uh, an interesting question from uh, what's his name, Curly Bonanza. That's yeah. obviously not a real name, but thank you, Curly uh, of uh, Indiana. Uh, writes. What is day for night, and is anybody doing it anymore? Well, day for night, um, Mr. Bonanza, is a situation where you really don't want to film at nighttime because at night means you got to spend a bunch of money on lights and and equipment, you know, and it's dark, and you know, yeah, usually you, at night it is, yes, yeah, yeah. You know, when you go to have lunch, you know, and the craft services table, you can't see anything because it's dark. So what they do is they film the scene during the daytime and they adjust the exposure to be uh, to make it look like it's dark. <laughs> so uh, instead of they really underexpose the, the picture. So if you've ever had a picture that you shot with and it's kind of hard to do now digitally because the, the cameras are so good that they. They kind of uh, do a good job. It doesn't look. It doesn't look like night at all. Yeah, opinion. and and so the idea is that you uh, do a very underexposed image. So you're filming a scene, say outside and trees, or they're walking around, and and because it's underexposed, it looks like it's uh, nighttime, and there's a lot of dark shadows because uh, they're all underexposed and there's no light. And you try to avoid the sky, although sometimes the sky kind of shows up uh, and it kind of looks like maybe a moonlit, you know, kind of light. And uh, that's day for night. And yes, yes, people still shoot day for night. Oh, they really do. I, really I thought that with, you know, with digital stuff that they would just yeah. do it in post. But I guess, but you, as you just explained, it doesn't work that way. Well, uh, part of the reason is because it, shooting at night requires, you know, the lights and all the other, that, that's an expense. 
And so, yes, with digitally, you can you can kind of make your image look more like it really should be, you know, day for night. Um, so, so yeah. You know, uh, can you think of any any well known movies that have a lot of day for night sequences that you can recall? I mean, that's a that's a tall order, but um, um you know, that's a good question. Now you're thinking about it. I was thinking, I'll bet Night of the Living Dead, which really should really be called Day for Night of the Living Dead. Uh, I'm just guessing, but I, my recollection of some of the cinematography is that it, it's not really night. You, you know, a um, number of scenes in 28 days were shot were day for night shots. Uh, oh. uh, wow. Parts of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell, Tell No Tales did some day for night scenes. I'll, I'll post some examples of a day for night kind of kind of shot. Oh, that would be good. See. Yeah, post them on the on the website. Yeah. Yeah, to, to give you an idea on what what it actually does and looks for if you're, you know, a budding filmmaker and you're going to shoot, you know, something with your iPhone, you can use control to, to do that stuff. So my question that I have from um, uh, Henry Wadfellow, and I think maybe he's been working in the uh, an industry that we don't talk about a lot, Henry Wadfellow. Hmm. Um, that just sounds very mysterious, what you just said. Okay, go on. His question is, uh, <laughs> what, what, in, in your opinion, what is the best debut, uh, picture for a director? Like, like first time picture for a director. Oh man. Uh, the, the best. That, that is really hard. Um, cause it, been, it, it could I, be, I, it could be, it could be. Maybe you think that's their debut, but it's the first one you really realize that they they directed. So, so what what do you think? Um, Blood Simple, uh, I think, is a fantastic debut by the Cohen brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but uh, uh, but maybe I'm just saying that because I happen to know that that is their debut feature film. Uh, but. Uh, Geez, I don't really know. I mean, you know, um, maybe uh, Spielberg with Jaws? Is that yeah, his that's, first that's, feature? That's his, no, uh, his first feature was the, um, was, well, yeah, maybe it was because it was television stuff. No, because what you're thinking, of, yeah, you're thinking of the television movie, Duel. is it Duel? Yes, Duel. Yeah. Duel, which in itself had a, an interesting premise, is like hard to believe that it uh, lasted for an hour and a half or whatever. But basically, a motorist is terrorized by a big truck that keeps coming up behind him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. That, and that's I, terrifying. I want to say, but I don't know. I don't think it's his first film. Would be uh, John Carpenter and Halloween. Was Halloween his first? I think it was his first film. I think you're right. I think that put him on the map. Uh, It definitely put him on the map. I don't know if it was his first film. Because he did Dark Star, but he was just the screenplay, if you've ever seen Dark Star. But he didn't film that. So, director, let's look and see what... hmm. Yeah, so while while you're looking up, uh, you know... um, Oh, no, there's a bunch of uh, shorts that he did, TV movies. Uh, I think, I think, I think, 
Halloween probably is the first big one. Assault on Precinct 13 was him. Oh, no. Oh, and, uh, you know, look, we, we, we can't overlook Reservoir Dogs. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, that's Tarantino's first film. So, uh, so uh, I, Spike Lee, I, I don't think she's got to have it really measures up to the kind of stuff that he did. Uh, you know, I mean, very shortly thereafter, he made his masterpiece. Um, but would do the right thing. Right. Um, Steven Soderbergh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. So on to, on to quickly viewer questions, and we'll do the speed viewer questions. Uh, we have uh, uh, Alonzo, I think it's Pennyoff. Alonzo I can't, Pennyoff. I can't, I can't read the name. Alonzo Pennyoff. He, he asks, well, when are we going to be able to see you on YouTube? And is your broadcast going to be in color? Or are you going to go old school and go black and white? Are we are we going to do this? First of all, uh, my second, my answer to the second question is sepia. sepia. I think we should do sepia. Right. Um, you know, two old guys who can't remember anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. Are we planning on shooting this? I mean, you know, I'm not wearing anything now. And, well, uh, that's, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's uh it's definitely a listener viewer, uh, more like a viewer question. Uh, it was also asked by my son, who asked, uh, "When are we doing a YouTube channel?" Because uh, you know, apparently YouTube is is hot and heavy, and we can move our our uh, listener base up, you know, by a, a, a couple notches by going video. And I'm like, I don't know yet. You know, we're kind of more audio rambling at the moment. So yeah, I don't know. And rambling really is the I'd be rambling from an alternate Earth may mm-hmm. may have been an, yeah. a better title for our podcast, title. but. Uh, I will say that, you know, I've been listening. I listen to podcasts uh, every so often, not not uh, as much as I might. And uh, uh, but recently I, I started to get into listening to uh, podcasts of people playing D&D. That and very slow and very plotting. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and by the way, if you're listening to one of these podcasts, it's okay to try and fast forward through the actual battles <laughs> because the battles, the battles are like this. I, I go to smack the orc in the head with my sword. All right. Um, can, can you hit him? Uh, well, let's see. I, I roll a seven and I add a two for my dexterity. And uh, yes, yes, I hit him. And, uh, well, roll two uh, four-sided dice for, uh, you know, damage. And it's very slow. As soon as it's, they get to a battle, it's uh-huh. it's incredibly slow. It would be um, like watching, but, it would be like watching uh, Clash of the Titans and, and you keep cutting back to the gods who are throwing dice. Uh, okay, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have, my, I'm gonna have my guy. My guy's gonna hit you with a sword. Let me. Uh, oh yeah, that's gonna inflict this kind of damage. Okay, now let's ha- let it. It's happening. And then you come wait, to wait, Earth. I get, I get, I get a bonus roll. Stop. Yeah, bonus roll. Yeah. And, and then the, the, it's freeze frame down on Earth. You pop back to Mount Olympus, and they're like, okay. And then you cut back to the action. That's like a, a short little bit that would be pretty funny for. Dungeon. It would be funny. It, so you it, get uh, okay. You're really gonna get your real, how... your real dungeon yeah. master, and then it cuts to actual. You film this scene. 
you know, and then the, the, the actors then stop in the middle of it, waiting for the, the roll of the dice. To see yes. what they do. Smoking a cigarette, having some orange juice at the craft right. table, you know, uh-huh. right. Uh, but the only reason I really mention it is because uh, when you listen to a podcast and you start to become interested in the people who are doing the podcast, uh, you know, the, the other one that I've mentioned is hello from the magic tavern, which is, an improvised, totally improvised uh, podcast that takes place in the magical land of Foon, uh, where a guy fell through a portal behind the Burger King in Chicago and found himself in this place. And so he just interviewed different denizens of the of Foon, um, you know, like a, a talking mushroom. Uh, uh-huh. And... Uh, and I wanted to know what these guys looked like. And so, uh, lo and behold, when these podcasts become popular enough, they start shooting some of their episodes on on, on YouTube because people do want to see what they look like. Right. I don't think anybody wants to see what we look like. No, Rick. I that has not been one of the requests. So, you know, in fact, I think. No, they, I would know. I would cast somebody. Ah, to, to we could get somebody doing and, us. Yeah, that that would work. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it would probably be they uh, they probably would make merciless fun of us. Better, and, better uh, received. One last question. Um, what? That last question is when are you so getting annoyed? No, don't. yeah. The, yes. This is a, this is a question from Jeffrey Pendragon, and Jeffrey wants to know when when the podcast is going to end because. He, He's got to go inside and have dinner. So, uh, Jeffrey, uh, what, the podcast is right in right now. I mean, you know, yeah, he did. So, uh, so the podcast is ending right now, Jeffrey. And uh, uh, now, I uh, will say, by the way, that we're going to create a. I don't know why we haven't done this. We each have individual uh, Twitter accounts, but we haven't created a Twitter account for the podcast. So that we can have a dialogue with people. Uh, yes, because I'd that. like to. I'd like to know what people think, or their, you know, what movies they've seen the most, and mm-hmm. you know, what movie, what movie do you put on when you just uh, want comfort movie? If you know what I mean. Oh, I put the Lord uh, of the Rings. I put the Lord of the Rings series on the all three movies. If I just want stuff in the background, so. Oh really. Yeah, that's my really, that's my, my background movie uh, choice because it's uh, you know I've got uh, two six you know eight eight hours or more or six six hours of you know yeah I yeah just I could just run that in the background so my my fiance puts on Moonstruck uh, ah. which is I mean I have to say because I've been forced to listen to a lot of Moonstruck. Uh-huh. And I mean, look, I think it is a good movie, uh, to say the least. And maybe one of Nicolas Cage's best performances, and it goes without saying the chair is terrific. Every actor in the movie is terrific. But uh, it's a movie that you can watch over and over and over again, to my surprise in some ways. But uh, that's anyway, that's what, she, that's what she puts on when she's not putting on Housewives of, you know, Benadryl or uh, Benadryl uh, Hills locations that they, Benadryl Hills. Yeah. So it's like so, Beverly Hills, but faster. It, yeah, it's, it doesn't, it's not as hilly. No, that's, uh, that's Methadrine Hills. I'm sorry. Method, I don't know. Methadrine Hills. So, and, yeah. and for, uh, you know, we're winding up here as we were winding and, and we've been talking way we too are. long and I'm going to, I'm going to edit this down, but we have to look yeah, forward gonna, to, Oh my God. 
Are you serious? We've been talking for almost two hours? Yeah, yeah. And we've been recording for at least, yes, we've been recording for 102 minutes. So Maybe, maybe we can release this in chapters. Yeah, maybe. So to look forward to things, we're, we're planning an interview with uh, Tom Caltabiano, uh, one of the producers on Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, and one of the writers, uh, Emmy Wayne. I, I am uh, fascinated. I can't wait to talk to him. Um, that that should happen at some point in the next couple of weeks because he's agreed to that. Uh, just responding to uh, respond back to his emails. Um, That's right. I, I you got I, the contract I, signed. Yeah, I've got I've got at least the papers, and my people have talked to his people, and we're we're putting things together. I want to say thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Tom, for uh, spending your Sunday afternoon, my Sunday morning. Yeah, no, uh, it was great. I was going to do cleaning, so this is really a great alternative. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. my place is a mess. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll, we'll let our uh, our sponsors Swiffer uh, help out Tom <laughs> uh, the next couple hours as he he cleans up uh, and he prepares to to move to his country house on long island soon we got a we got a great shark um wet vacuum mop so uh, i'd just like uh, to do a shout out to them uh, -huh. uh it's really made my life a little bit easier uh, so well there we are thank you very much uh, you've been listening to uh a Movie podcast from, from an alternate, an alternate earth. earth yeah there you or go. ramblings from two alternate white guys from a you know other earth i don't know or uh digressions digressions from an alternate earth yes digressions it's one of the it's it's a three-part trilogy digressions i would stuff. like a viewer to listen to our stuff and to map out the line of um you know getting from point a to point z that we mm -hmm. go through whenever we talk about l you know right it'd be like 25 degrees of separation so, yeah, that's right. You know, I, I stopped at a stop sign, and I know that William Shatner stopped at the same stop sign at one point, so we're connected. William Shatner is 90 years old. Yes. We can see if we can get William Shatner on the show. So, Are you kidding? Yes. So thanks, Tom, and uh, here we go. Another ending and another uh, another beginning. So That's right. Okay. It's like the worm of Ouroboros. Yes. And we'll we'll end with a with a, a a Tom Burke quote. If you listen after the the ending, there'll be a classic Tom Burke quote. <laughs> Boom. Well, enjoy, enjoy. You've been listening to movie reviews from an alternate Earth with your hosts Greg Dyro and Tom Burke. William Shatner is ninety years old. <laughs>